Hey, this is Adam Green, creator of the Hatchet franchise and the TV show Holliston, and you are listening to Nightmare Junkhead. Out of your consciousness, like a bad dream you can't wake from, this is the Nightmare Junkhead Podcast, a horror podcast that appreciates a film that can not only launch a thousand phobias, but can also launch a thousand fetishes. Mm-hmm. My name is Greg D. I'm Genius McGee. And on today's episode, we're once again tight rolling our jeans and once again moistening up our mullets as we delve into the mouth of March Madness and travel back 30 years to talk the horror classics from our 1992 bracket. And whether or not you've seen Armored Saint live, uh, you can listen into our show. Simply search for Nightmare Junkhead wherever podcasts are played, hit subscribe, and when we drop our latest episode, it will download directly to your listening device of choice. All up in your Nickelodeon's double dare hole. <laughs> and, uh, of course, uh, you can... Um, Dare us, double dare us, or take the physical challenge with us on social media. Uh, we're on Twitter at Nightmare Junk and on Facebook at Nightmare Junkhead. And it is on that book of face where we have an events tab, which leads to shenanigans and insert 90s stereotype trope shenanigans. <laughs> and as this episode is releasing on Monday, March 14th, uh, all you need to do is go to screenland.com where they should have your, regardless of trope shenanigans taken care of indoors. Uh, and virtually. There we go. There we go. it's too damn cold and snowy to show movies outside. Not yet. We're yes. getting there. Yes. yes. We're getting yes. there. We're getting there. But as we are recording these episodes well in advance, mm-hmm. uh, please just head over to screenland.com to check out what is going on the week of the 14th. Um, but of course, more importantly, please follow us on all social media because that is where you're going to have access to this year's bracket. Mm-hmm. And how are you going to play along if you don't have the proper utensils to play with? That is right. So please continue to send in your finished brackets and of course, show your work, especially for your final round. Mm-hmm. We understand, you know, the journey to get there, but you know, how is the, the ultimate victor victorious there? Because... Six years in, I like to say we keep it very well balanced here, yes. genius. Yes. We try to eliminate as much bias as we can. Exactly. And to take things no, scientific. No quiz show shenanigans. Not yet. We Needless to say, there have been a few times when you've started to say something or maybe I've started to say something. We'll save like, it for the show. Save yeah. it for the show. No, 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 no. Don't want to ru- ruin the flow there. <laughs> but going all the way back. To the year of 1992, 30 years ago, genius. Gee, And looking back that year, uh, it's really sad because going back and looking back in 1991, I went back and listened just to make sure things stay consistent. Mm-hmm. But in 1991, I talked about the gloriousness of my mullet. Well, in 1992, that mullet, had not really gotten any better. It just kind of remained adequate. <laughs> but in the year of 1992, when I was a sophomore, in my yearbook picture, I was rocking a Megadeth t-shirt. 
to give you any idea of what of what who and what who Greg was in 1992. Yeah. In 1992, I would have been 14, 15. Wow. Those are some good times. You know, no responsibilities, you know, let's go to the mall, let's go see a movie, fucking have a great time. Well, and it's really funny, too, because in the year of 1992, Megadeth released an album called Countdown to Extinction, which, hot take here, I will go and say is actually a better mainstream thrash metal album than Metallica's Black album. Ooh. Come at me, people. Come Uh-oh. at me. The madness has really, truly infected me. <laughs> the views and opinions expressed here at Nightmare Junket are those of only by the host. That's weird that I'm saying that. Right. Normally you say that about me. Well, so. you know what also came out in 1992, and hmm. I know it's an album that had a huge influence on you, Dr. Dre's The, the Chronic. Chronic. Fuck yeah. Second album I've ever owned. It, I oh. had it on cassette. Were that other out? And that's when you could wear physical media out you could mm-hmm. wear a tape out you could wear a cd out and speaking of i like the super bowl halftime show we're going back in time oh, if you're listening to this yeah. march but doc and he, every day is dre day well that just told you dr dre much like many of the films that we're talking about here have proved their legacy right how people are still talking about these artists from 30 years ago. And even some are like rediscovering some of these too, kind of going back to Dre. Bones. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Bow Wow, you know? Had a good turnout for that. Mm-hmm. A number of people seen and it for first the first time, mm-hmm. which is fantastic. Again, that's kind of what we celebrate here and on the podcast. One of these movies in the bracket is a first time for me. Oh, I had two first timers, nice. my friend. And again, it's the best part of Into the Mouth of March Madness is celebrating and going back to cult classics but the exploration mm-hmm. go back to the very first year do you remember kind of what was the standout that year uh eight and alive eight and alive and also which, george a romero's martin. martin yeah ah ah which i think is finally getting the blu-ray release this good. year good good and the blu-ray release of eating alive is crazy it's still freaky oh my god yeah it's so good so good so many <laughs> memories coming in about that so here in the first round as we like to say, we like to say we keep it balanced here. Mm-hmm. So the criteria we were looking at is, of course, going from both the heart and the head. Mm-hmm. So we do ask, which of the two films is closer to your heart? Closer to the heart. Yeah. Almost getting there. Almost, almost. And then going from heart to head, we actually have every film paired with a bracket topic. Mm-hmm. So we have to think logically, ideally, while showing our work. And our first matchup here in the year of 1992 and our first bracket topic has gone through some changes. Yes, it has. It's evolved. Not so much the two films that we're talking about, but how we got to the bracket topic itself. (laughs) Yeah. And it goes by a couple of names. Uh, What is the first one, Genius? Sentimental Sanguination. Or... Love gun, love gun, love gun. Love blood. Oh shit! I'm totally in kiss mode. It is love blood. <laughs> I was, I was just, again. You were just ready to rock. You know, I'm a member of the Kiss Army, my friend. I can't help it. Hey, what do they say in Peacemaker? There's no bad time to rock. <laughs> that is true. Even if Gene Simmons is a garbage human, I can't right. help it. What Wonder Bread's like cake. But needless to say, we were trying to find a nice way of combining... Romance and blood. Because both films 
that is steeped. I mean, in the it's in, in the, the DNA. Yeah, yes, it's in the mythos of the movies. So we are going to go ahead and talk both Bernard Herman's uh, Bernard Rose's classic Candyman, Helen, and Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula. Dracula. <laughs> both are mouthfuls. Which ones do we start with first? Here, let's do Bram Stoker's Dracula. I have crossed oceans of time to be with you, It's It's classy. It's super classy. It's fucking Francis Ford Coppola classy. And we don't necessarily get to talk about a filmmaker of his clout very often on our podcast. Right. And actually, it's really funny. Now we've act- Last year, we talked Martin Scorsese's uh, Cape Fear remake. We bring in some of the classier exactly. filmmakers for some Into the Mouth of Madness. I mean, we have Spielberg in this year. Well, via Tobey Hooper. We love collaborate. Collaborations abound in this movie. And I'm not going to lie. I came to this one late. Yeah? In fact, the first time I watched it was actually at the Alamo Draft House. It was part of the Terror Tuesday series. It was in Theater One. Ooh. If anyone knows, much like at Screenland Armor, Theater One's the theater to see if, if you can. Yeah. Theater One at the Draft House was the one to see. I mean, it was the huge screen. Mm-hmm, with all the bells and whistles. And a movie like this needs to be seen as large and loud as you can yeah. because it's visually stunning. It's, the, a, it's, a, it's a full movie. The in-camera stuff that he's doing in terms of how Dracula moves, how he's telling the story visually is sumptuous. But also, just... just I, I don't know... I wasn't aware, mm-hmm. and ju- you can go ahead and say it. It's a horny movie. Wow. This movie's a horny fucking movie. Now, speaking of seeing in the theater, I saw this in the theater when it came out. I saw both these movies in the theater when it came out, and I was even thinking, oh, this is a horny movie. Did you see this one by yourself? Oh, no, I was with Mom. Now, if you go back to last year's madness. Because she was like, hey, Dracula. I like Dracula. I know of Dracula. I want to see Dracula. And I was like, hell yeah, I want to see Dracula too. Dracula looks slick. And so like, Francis Ford Coppola, doon, 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 with his bum, 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 right? Anthony Hopkins, Winona Ryder. <laughs> Keanu Reeves. Keanu Reeves. And Gary Oldman is Dracula, and he's like, <laughs> and he's rocking, roughing stuff with his Afro puffs. I was all aboard. I thought it looked ridiculous, but just it would, it worked. It's oh. fucking Gary Oldman. Everything about this movie works, but it's a horny, horny, horny movie. Again, going back to the movie theater, I remember in the werewolf scene where he's just like going to town on Mina, and I'm like, oh my, right? And like, I look over at mom, and mom is like, this is not the Dracula I was expecting. Some of right? his dalliances with Lucy are with Lucy. That's yeah, right. yeah. No, it, it's not. It's so. If you go back to last year's madness, you saw a couple of films in the theater mm-hmm. with your mom mm-hmm. that definitely had some sort of effect. No, I'm not going to say psychologically. No, but you can say it. Fucking like trauma from from multiple Migs and uh, Buffalo Bill in Silence of the Lambs. Right to El Chacal, uh-huh. with people under the stairs. 1992's starting off pretty hard. Then, yeah, uh, hot and heavy. Yeah, yeah it is. Because when I saw it the first time, 
I could have just seen my way. I've seen that my way through it. Mm-hmm. But adding that horny to it means you've seen it. Yeah. Because he's all about the romance and is it problematic in terms of how it goes about at this point? Uh, it's another time, another place. I mean, like not only 92, but fucking 1892. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? This is like undead courting. That sounds actually like a show you would see on one of those real specialty right? YouTube sites. <laughs> undead courting. Like from the... We'll be back in two in Toonstone. Um... <laughs> uh, a moment that I really enjoyed revisiting it this time, and I think, again, much like the first time I watched it, is a number of the character actors that show up that I didn't realize showed up, including all of her boos. Her, bo- her bows? Her bows, yeah. Her bows? Carrie Yule's yeah, showing, showing up. up in there, and I'm like, fucking it's Wesley, as you wish, blur, right? <laughs> fucking the Texan was slick. I mean, all the characters, everybody was on their A game, but... And I'm even going to give credit to Keanu. He seemed out of place. Yeah. But here's the thing. I was thinking about this. Keanu stumbled in Dracula so he could run in John Wick. So he I was, give him a pass for that because he's Keanu. Well, he's not phoning it in. Right. Plus, it's got Monica Bellucci as one of the dra- as to the sisters. Fucking that was another moment. That was another moment in the movie theater, especially like when they're all like Cronenberged up. Right. Even at that, even at that young age, even at that young age, I was like, you know what? That's kind of cool. <laughs> I, I could be down with that. that Don't the, dream it. It's the origin of the deal breaker, not a deal breaker. At that point, not a deal not breaker. Not a deal breaker. Not a deal breaker. I had forgotten about it until Dracula's sisters. Dracula's well, not, sisters are not rad. Dracula's I mean, Dracula, sisters. The sister the, wa- the, the, the yeah, sister the, wives. Dracula's brides. The brides of Dracula. The three sisters. But I'd forgotten about that little kind of Cronenberg scene. Mm-hmm. And, and again, I didn't. I didn't. That again, another movie from '92 that's seared into the brain. I mean, and not, and I hate to sound creeps and nostalgia too late, right? But like, but at the same time, this is the shit that sticks with you. I mean, yeah. this is the th- this is like, this is like you said. Only if you've seen this movie can you like, oh yeah, that was some weird shit, you know? Because this is you think you don't think when you hear Francis Ford Coppola, Coppola, and even now Academy Award, it won like a few awards for like makeup and shit. You don't think how like horny it's gonna fucking be, especially when you're familiar with the I don't want to say sanitized, but this like the Bela Lugosi era. If that was your Dracula, this is a vast apart. If Christopher Lee, those were kind of horny movies too, but those took a, a uh, uh, sh- don't tell, you know, I mean, don't show, tell approach, you know, certainly it was more ribald, more the more, but this one, Dracula's fucking people up. Not only is it horny, but it fucking freaked me out when what? he turned into those rats. I remember oh, the no. theater, my oh, legs no. just went whoop. I mean, and to this day, I'm sitting here, blah, whoop, they go right up. No, every, no, every time he turns the transmorgification, he's a naughty vampire god. Be it the horny wolf, the horny vampire, the special effects in this are top fucking not so good. So good. But the thing it's been parodied at death, too. Now, I mean, when Mr. Burns is doing it, I remember they said an episode of uh, uh, of uh, Saturday Night Live, I think, or maybe it was in Living Color. But Sinbad was on it and he was Bram Stoker's Blackula. <laughs> and he came out with the big afro puffs like that and it was rad he's like oh it's bad on black motherfucker and just like started punching people i think he even said blah if he didn't say blah then it's not a proper dracula but the- gary oldman 
killed it as well, Dracula in this. Gary one. Oldman. This is this is early '90s Gary Oldman before he is fully embraced and gone full on. Everyone, Gary Oldman. You could still get these nice little subtle performances, but he'll also go for it as yeah. well. And I, yeah, I. This is just it's a nice surprise. Now that being said, it's a two hour long plus film, but quite honestly, I'm actually the way again the way it is shot the way. He utilizes everything in the screen. I'm in. I'm in. When she's walking down, when Lucy's walking down the stairs and just bloop drops that baby. I know you're not supposed to laugh, but at the same time, just a boom, and it's like, <laughs> and then like back to the like the exorcism where she's vomiting blood. There's a good balance between the giggles, the horny, and the uh, and the violence. It's checking a lot of boxes there for yeah, you, it is. is it not? Yeah, it is. But it's a horny fucking film. It's definitely it a should horny be film. like fucking Ron Jeremy's Dracula. It's a it's almost there. Now, now let, let's go away from that one. So final thoughts on Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula. It's a really good movie. It's really good. It's really good. It's really I good. mean, it, it deserves all the praise and kudos it gets. But, like, I wouldn't make it Sunday family night watching. You know, come on, Grandma. Come on, little kid. Let's watch a vampire movie. Blah. <laughs> No, I mean, they, but vampires in general are, are romantic. They, or, or a lot of them are. They tend to s- kind of skew towards adult fare. Mm-hmm. Well, that's appropriate then because our next film uh, skews towards adult fare based, based on a number of things. Most notably, it, it does come from one Clive Barker. Mm-hmm. Flesh. And blood. And anything associated with him, you are going to veer into stuff that you might have to look over your shoulder, you know, when you're watching the film. But uh, Bernard Rose's Candyman, having just recently again experienced it in the theater, you said yourself you saw this in the theater. Mm-hmm. I did not. Wa- the first time I watched it would have been via VHS, Indian Springs, no. Crown Center, C- Crown Center. Mm-hmm. I remember it was the winter time, so we were out there shopping. And like just kind of well, this I remember it was cold out there doing something fancy, going out of our comfort yeah, zone. Yeah, Crown Center, right? And then at the top, they had the movie theater with like four screens. Yeah, and Candyman yeah. was playing. Like, look, let's go see Candyman. What is it about? I don't know. And I think, but I think this is the one where this is the kind of one where me and Mom would do separate. We do a lot of things together. Sometimes we'd even like see multiple movies be theater hot back in the day right <laughs> but every now and then you're like hey i want to see this movie that starts at blah 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 you want to see this movie that starts at blah 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 you go to that one i go to that one and we'll meet later here or there cool so i went to go see candy man by myself so it was a solo experience yeah, yeah. it was slick it was scary it, it was haunting and then like how was the movie it was like a scary movie i was like that movie is was, was and then just his voice his presence and then that you hear that it's fucking still terrifying to this day it's everything about this movie sticks with you it just like like honey it just stays on you and no matter how much you want to get it off you can't and then just when you think everything is gone here comes another Candyman movie or here comes a remake of it and like Candyman still to this day gives me the heebie-jeebies when I watch it. It's such a well-made movie. You can make an argument that it's one of the best horror films of the 1990s. Yeah. Uh, you can make an argument that Tony Todd's Candyman is one of the best horror icons in horror in general. Uh, when anyone says horror is bad in the 1990s, there are so many good examples of 
of just exemplary horror. Exactly. And this is an easy one to point to. Now, that being said, uh, it's a film that carries a number of different messages. Uh, some subtle, some not. Well, and that's okay. That's right. okay. Sometimes you need a little little peck on the cheek, a little sting on the cheek, mm-hmm. and then sometimes you do need a hook that goes from the groin to the gullet. The gullet right. But two totally t- opposite movies. I mean, if you think about it, the nudity and any sexuality, there's a lot of romance in Candyman, but like any bit of people taking off their clothes, it's cold, it's clinical, precise, it's yeah. awkward, oh, yeah. and it, you just feel uncomfortable. Meanwhile, in Bram Stoker's Dracula, you got werewolves banging everybody. Pineapples galore. Exactly. They're, they're, the whole castle's got pineapples all over it. <laughs> Welcome. Uh, please feel free to sleep for something more comfortable. Totally different shift with Candyman. And that's also, I think, one of the wonderful things in 1992, just in terms of the complexity of what you would find in the theater during that time. Uh, that's actually unlocked. We need to unlock that for Mount Baldy. Uh, but that's the beauty of what you would find back in 1992, uh, both involving blood, because as Candyman himself says, what is blood for if not... If not, if not, if not for unlocking the door. What good are sights or what are sources for? If not, not sighting, exactly. Anytime you can paraphrase Candyman's philosophy into everyday conversations, you can consider it a win. Uh, we talked about the Philip Philip Glass score, that in and of itself is another character in the film. Mm-hmm. There is much to say about this film, and again, we actually offered up a commentary track for it over on Patreon because. You could probably write a thousand dissertations on this film. And you can write tiny candified ads on this film. A number of ways that you can go with it. Now, mm-hmm. obviously, we have a lot of love for both of these films, but only one can advance into the next round. So let's start of our two bits of criteria. Let's start at the bottom with the heart. So, Genius, which of the two films is closer to your heart? As So I saw both of these in the theater. I had both of these on VHS. I have both of these on DVD, right? I really, really enjoy both of these movies. However, Candyman still scares me. Even as many times as I've seen Candyman, I've seen Candyman significantly more times than I've seen Bram Stoker's Dracula, but it's still, I find something new. I find something fun in it. I I, I enjoy Candyman a little bit more than Bram, a little bit more than Bram Stoker's Dracula. So, but by more than a little bit. So for Closer to the Heart, I got to go Candyman. That's totally fair. That's totally fair. And this is a tough one for me because I've seen Candyman multiple times in the theater, but it was through repertory screenings. I've only seen Dracula one time, and it was via repertory screening. So I don't have that necessarily nostalgia pull. So this one, I don't want to say that you know it's quality over quantity or anything like that, but man, I've seen the, transmor- the transform- transformative effect of Candyman and how... It's message, scary, subtle, timeless, and with Dracula, it's it's just horny. It's blonde banging, <laughs> right? I mean, so I'm actually gonna say, I think the, I don't want to be a creep and say Dracula. I'm just gonna go Candyman just based on I think, the multiple experiences <laughs> have quantified their way over to that. Right. At the same time, I mean. I did like watching the Cronenberg uh, vampires. That was kind of slick. Of course you did. Of course you that did. That was kind of slick. So from the heart to the head, our bracket topic was... 
sanguine sentimental sanguination and also love blood yeah love blood there it is so however we want to define that do you want to go ahead and start there genius sure so when i think of sanguination and that i think of blood draining and out of those two movies of course i'm going to go with the vampire one the sentimental thing yeah, they both are questing after the same go after one girl, their long lost love. But Dracula's just going around banging as many people too. I mean, like Candyman's like my only love is Helen, and like Dracula's like, ma'am, my only true love is is Mina. But you know, a couple of side pieces on the side, you know, blah blah blah. Plus, if one of them's Kabaluchi, so. <sighs> that being said, just because love gone earlier and love blood, <laughs> I'm going to go Bram Stoker's Dracula. That's fair. That's fair. And I had a, this was a tough one for me because we just wanted to make both films contain elements of both love and blood. Obviously, we sometimes make a bracket for the pun, what have you. But looking at I looked at kind of the messages of both films uh, in regards to love and blood what has to be shed for something to happen. But also I looked at two different kind of concepts and that one is kind of timeless and one is timely. And with the timeless one, I think you can see is Dracula and that's a tale as old as time, mm -hmm. this complicated love. But then we have something that is more timely, unfortunately like Candyman yeah. and the story of Candyman and how with the sequel, it's not necessarily a yeah. remake, but the sequel that just came out last year is also still timely in that aspect. And so based on that, man, between love and blood, there is still blood being spilled and love that is still continuing to try to get through that blood. And based on that, I'm going to go with Candyman. So by a count of three to one, oh. making his way into the round of the Scream 16. Nice. Uh, tiny candy fight ads. <laughs> but see, you know, adding on to your thing, you know, not only is it timely with the remake, but I mean, Candyman is still very prescient, you know? I, I still will go to bat to the, the sequel from last year. Mm -hmm. Now, kind of changing direction here, and what I like is, again, our first matchup, totally different in regards to what we're looking at. Our second matchup here in the in the first round of 1992, number one, both first-timers for me. Excellent. Which was very exciting. At number two, both delving into some devious... Uh, devious, devilish doctors. Yes. In fact, the bracket topic itself is... Devilish doctors. And our two films we're going to be looking at, uh, Dr. Giggles... And Raising Kane. Mm -hmm. And Raising Kane's the first time for me. Okay, excellent, excellent. So two first-timers right off the bat. So shall we start with the first-time yeah, experience? Yeah, let's go do Raising Kane. Well, here we get to go talking about talk classier filmmakers. Uh -huh. And is Brian De Palma Cla considered classy? I don't say classier, but he's S definitely... Sleazy um, classy? Yeah, yeah, because he can make some... He, can, he makes... Big budget genre films, but big budget 42nd Street genre films. Big budget Hitchcock films. Right. I mean, even like, you know, Scarface could be considered kind of like a, a filthy genre. And what's film. funny with this one is Classy. I'm positive. In fact, in our uh, selection episode, I mentioned that I was 
watching this is going to be like a, a, a first time watch in a quite a long time because I thought I'd watch it on HBO. But when I'm watching it, I realized haven't watched it front to back. So it was a first time viewing for nice. me. And it's really funny, though, because everything I remember still played really well. Mm-hmm. But it was the little connective pieces and just allowing John Lithgow to be John to be Lithgow. John Lithgow. <laughs> I'm just like, man, from progressive soup to whatever he's doing in Buckaroo Banzai to this. He's one of those actors I don't think we really appreciate enough. No, he's he's awesome. He but he can be But it's weird when you know I in the world of uh John Lithgowness, <laughs> he's more of a comedic actor. Yeah. You know, just yeah. but so to see him menacing and serious, it's kinda like, oh, oh that's right. He can pull it off. You know, again, like in Ricochet. Right, <laughs> next level in Ricochet. Yeah, he's fucking fighting Jesse Ventura, fucking with phone books and shivs. So, but anyway, <laughs> so to see him be so menacing and play the characters was very cool to see. However, it did give me giggles, and there was some times where I don't think the giggles were meant to be there. I think De Palma would be like, "That's not funny," you know. So I don't know. Of course, I, that could be said with like a lot of movies that I watched. But... Save the giggles for our next film, right? <laughs> But uh, <laughs> I don't know. I enjoyed this movie filling in my De Palma gaps. Certainly. <laughs> but it always kind of cracked me up when Lithgow, when he was the kid, meaning he came out, when he's like, I'm going to tell. When it's like a little kid coming out with John Lithgow's voice, <laughs> just give me the biggest fucking giggle. Just give me the biggest fucking giggle. It, it kind of was an uncanny valley thing that yeah, happened to me as well because I kind of had to stop what I was doing. Go, what just happened? So I'm glad that yes, that is exactly what happened. Uh, anytime that he and this is the early '90s, so their handling of mental health is a little bit different. Right. It was. I don't want to say nuanced in this at all, but I think it was handled a little bit more deftly than you would normally see. On a 42nd Street, it's, you know, multiple personality movie? Exactly. Yeah. It's a genre film. Mm-hmm. Um, and but and being that it's De Palma, um, I just recently got a chance to see Sisters up on the big screen. Shout out to the Straight Cat Theater. And the one real good use he has of the, the, the split screen, I thought worked really well in this film. Mm-hmm. This movie was also... Kind of horny, in a way. It was, but it was good to see Lolita. Uh, Lolita yeah, Lolita Davidovich again. Yes, you don't uh, hear that's a name you don't hear often. It's because it's hard to say without right? rolling your tongue over itself. I was always familiar with her through. There was the the film Blaze, mm-hmm. but then there was uh, there was a Ron Shelton film that's got Antonio Banderas Oosh. and Woody Harrelson in it as boxers. Oh, what is With that? With her in that. What is that? Someone's going to the M debut. That's is it fine. Like we the just, big payday or something like something that? Something along those lines. And it's what I saw actually at the Glenwood back in the day. Really? Like, again, randomly. But I think partially because Lolita Davidovich was in it. Mm-hmm. She carries a presence. And she gave me, she's responsible for at least three jump scares in this movie that had me jumping on, yeah! And effective, well earned jump scares. Based on a score from Pino Dinaggio, love it. Anytime that man does something. Play it to the bone. Play it to the bone. There it is. There it is. I like Chekhov's sundial, and you think something's going to happen, and then, alas, it was tense. There was some, there was Super some t- tense. And I really like the shot when you're panning back, and you see the action on two levels. Spoilers. Action on two levels of the, um, the hotel. I thought that was well done. Of course, it's De Palma. He's got those 
angles. He's got the that oh. eye. Oh, uh, and it it kind of reminded me of that shot in Tenebrae that Argento. And again, they're all kind of nods to Hitchcock. There's at one point there's a point of view, and you've got Lithgow looking at you, and it is just expressionistic. It's colored almost like an Italian film. Oh, are we talking about the um, David Lynch shot in the hotel? <laughs> yes, it's so good. And I was like, that is really good at makeup. Oh, real. Oh, and his Ex- except the end. The end, just the way he looked at the end just gave me the biggest giggle. Did you get more giggles out of that? I did. Because it was like, because just the look, it wasn't like a menacing look. It was like snippy. Like, I'm going to be catty now. I I actually like that performance. And be it in some of the physicality, but just all in the the delivery. It just, like I said, it's a reason to embrace Jonathan Lithgow. Um, I don't know. I just was a, it was a nice first time first time watch because Lord Farquaad freaks out. <laughs> How many people, like you said, have no idea of that, these, that he's going around doing like he's these, chloroform murders and shit? The opening starts off with a bang, right? Uh, it's, yeah, it's I had and I a had burial a live burial at sea. Via, Maritime law is different, my friend. Via, via like dirty swamp water. Yeah, it's 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 crazy. It's crazy. Now this was definitely a good first time watch. Definitely good filling in the De Palma gap. Mm-hmm. But like you said, not necessarily that top tier De Palma. Right. It's about mid tier De Palma, or some maybe would, yeah. some would say just early nineties De Palma. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Depending on how you view it. But of course, some De Palma is better than no De Palma. And going from one doctor to another, and another first time viewing for me. And I don't know what I thought I expected with Dr. Giggles. Is this not the pieces? No. It was totally unexpected. I had such a good time. There were moments of weirdness that I wasn't expecting. Right. Had multiple Rick Dalton. Oh, hey, it's the girl from Charmed. Mm -hmm. Holy smoke. Multiple moments throughout the film. And of course... Larry Drake. Oh my Larry Drake fucking rocking fucking shit up. <laughs> oh, and I assumed, based on assumptions, uh-huh. that the giggles would be over the top and would be scene stealings. They're subtle. Subtle giggles. They're sinister. Yeah. It adds so much actual kind of scare to the movie on top of like the gore. The gore and the kills. You you right? It's so you don't see a lot of gore. It's almost like that 90s slasher where you see a lot of aftermath and you see a lot of splatter. So you don't see like the knives going in. You might have seen some good set pieces and some great aftermath. Yes. There's some really good aftermath. And there's a real there's one particular scene we'll get into later. But the fact that you open up with a prison break at a mental hospital. Wonderful. With a heart transplant. Mm-hmm. All for it. All for it. Now, what's crazy, though, is the fact I'm trying to think of people's reference point for one Larry Drake because there are going to be the genre folks that'll go oh that's um you know uh, Durant, Durant from uh Dark Man. Yes. I remember him as Benny from LA Law. You and me both my friend. And then Santa Claus and from Tales, Tales from, from the, the Crypt. Crypt. So from him to go from a very uh warm character mm-hmm. in LA Law to Dr. fucking Giggles in a sinister Santa he's got it all. Yeah. He's got it all. But the way he plays him 
It's very subtle, and I really like that. I was expecting an over-the-top... <laughs> I was expecting like an ice cream man kind of approach, right. and it wasn't. It, now, that being said... The gore, like you said, the the after effects, I thought was I thought worked really well, um, but the girl from Charmed, Holly Marie Combs, Holly Marie Combs was and I, Michelle Johnson, I know as the evil stepmom and her whole thing with right? the pumping of the stomach, that but was I, crazy. I had it was a nice welcoming moment seeing Michelle Johnson. Uh, again, uh, uh, Glenn Quinn from Angel, uh, the late Glenn Quinn. The fact that he kills every people in like weird different ways, like he matrixed that one lady with the red pill and the blue pill, and and oh, the whole saxophone party. It's this movie also very. It felt very nineties, more so than a lot of the movies we've talked about so far, from the from just the clothing. To the backwards hats. And it was ridiculous. A whole like bucket full of hearts and just going on a killing spree and everything in a 90s way. I was down. I was down to see the adventures of... I don't understand why he didn't get more movies. You know what I'm saying? Certainly. Because Dr. Giggles is pretty fucking rad. The, the, they had a nice exorcist homage in mm-hmm. there, which was a nice surprise. See, this was... But there was some shots and... the in this movie that harkened back to the universal studio monsters. Like for example, when a couple of ones, when it's in the forest in the dark, when he's carrying Holly Marie Combs and he's stumbling around in there. Yeah. It just, it was a really gorgeous. The moonlight was oh, coming yes. through the woods. I thought this was, I was, a, I was like, wow, nicely done. And with the sweeping music behind it, it almost felt like how a slasher would be in universal studio times because of, you don't see a lot of the guts and gore into the aftermath. And there's a lot of puns. This was a, for an R-rated movie, language-wise and on-screen kill-wise, it was pretty chaste. Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of implied sex, but there wasn't, like, on-screen. Michelle Johnson didn't get naked. You know, Holly Marie Combs, she was over there throwing her uh, device in the... Uh, then I'm thinking to myself, you know what? That's fucking expensive. And you're just throwing it the first fucking day you got it? That's a heart monitor. You fucking need that, and you're throwing it in the, uh, the aquarium? aquarium? Yeah. What's wrong with you? You know, that that ain't your insurance. You can spend my money. It was a different 90s at that point. I think Clinton was within his like first term at that point, or we were either getting out of uh, one of the bushes. So it's a di- the fact that he has a big-ass Band-Aid. Oh, that, I, that made me giggle. Puns? Sight <laughs> get- Right? <laughs> and the fact that he's giggling when he's sewing himself up. And directed by Manny Cotto. Who has probably one of the greatest names of all time, mm-hmm. Manny Cotto. Um, I don't know. This was a nice this was a nice surprise. This one actually kind of exceeded my expectations because again, I didn't know what I was anticipated. I thought it would be more cartoonish. I thought it would be more over the top. And no, I actually was I just like was really shocked and surprised at what I got with Dr. Giggles. And so you saw this in the theater? No, I didn't. I okay. missed out on it, but I did see it as soon as it came out on uh VHS down at the Blockbuster days. Okay. I, like, I want to see Dr. Giggles. I missed it in the theater. I want to see it. And I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the shit out of it and I still did this day. Now, I wish they could remake it. I wish we would get more we can't get any more Dr. Giggles now because of uh, unfortunately Larry Drake has passed. But well, you know who would be down to remake it? Who the goth gangster princess herself? Fuck yeah, I would like to see GGP's Doctor Giggles. Apparently, Jill Gavargazian, when talking to our good friend Adrian Torres, did mention that she number one loves Doctor Giggles 
and would love to do a remake, which, you know, again, begs the question, who do you replace? Who remake do you make? I'm not saying one. I'm looking at them right now. I got a bloody um, doctor's outfit right, there right now. Give me a good giggle there, genius. <laughs> <laughs> like what he does. Or then like, take two. What, what did he say? He goes, hmm, that's a bad case of this. Open up and say, ah. You know, and like, <laughs> he he was subtle. Like you said, subtle. He was a good, sinister, subtle monster. It's it's Larry Drake. God love him. God love him. Now as oh, much. we didn't talk about the scene. Oh, the, oh, yeah. The scene that made me go, what am I watching? The scene. scene. Again, I didn't know what to expect with this movie. And we're saying over here, like, you know what? We could have used more guts and gore and blood, and it's all subtle. And then there's one scene in particular. Again, you can't, you can, I seen with Dr. G. Oh, yeah, Larry Drake, the, the guy that's going around killing people. Yeah, okay, cool. I seen that. But when you add this scene. When you add the birthing scene. Well, you know, it's really funny. Last year in 1982, we had extra. <laughs> that birthing scene. 1992, we now have Dr. Giggles. Um, Yeah, wasn't anticipating it. It freaked me out. <laughs> Scurry is scary. Yeah. And, Bloody sc- and killer kids. Yeah, that's what's crazy. This Then you could throw this film, because of that, into so many subgenres. And again, weird niche. Uh. <laughs> again, wasn't anticipating it. And it freaked me out. But that's why I it exceeded my expectations because of a moment like that because of Larry Drake's performance. Yeah, this was two good first time watches for me, man. Yeah, me too. Well, thank not, you on I mean, that. One yeah. good first time watch, one good revisit. Well, as both as good as both were, only one can advance into the next round. So, Genius McGee, which of the two, um, Doctor Giggles or Raising Kane, is closer to your heart? Doctor Giggles. Dr. Giggles without as I saw that on the VHS and I always enjoyed it. I've always been a champion of Dr. Giggles. My first time watching Raising Cain, I I enjoyed it. But I had more fun watching revisiting Dr. Giggles. As much as I was like, man, I wish it more had more blood, you know, but at the same time, I'm having a ball. Yeah. I'm laughing at his puns. The kills are inventive. Like everybody who gets their comeuppance gets their comeuppance. <laughs> so yeah. I am actually going to go with Raising Cain. And the reason being is, again, both were first-time watches. But the reason I mistakenly thought I had watched it back in the day on HBO is, number one, I did catch bits and pieces of it Mm -hmm. on HBO where I would just tune in to it half an hour in, an hour in, or what have you. But I also distinctly remember all the promos for it because you would get John Lithgow being sassy Ha ha ha! What are you doing over there, Carl? Yeah, and it made an impression on me because that was that guy from the world according to Garp. You know, this was just that, and I wasn't seeing him. So there's just something to my heartstrings. And then every time I'd catch it at the beginning, and I'd get the da na 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 na. I don't have that with Doctor Giggles. So closer to the heart, I've got to go with Raising Cain. Now, from the heart to the head, our bracket topic is devilish doctors Mm -hmm. a number of ways this can be interpreted genius how does your vote go with this one dr giggles here's why he's a doctor that kills people and he kills them in um medical ways the stomach pump the pills the giant fucking band-aid right when kane kills people doc carter 
is the doctor, not Kane. Kane is the killer. So he, the doctor is innocent in this one. Margot, the doctor, the uh, the only other doctor is the first doctor, and he doesn't get his hands dirty until later. So for that, I got to go Dr. Giggles. That's fair. That is fair. My vote is going to go to Raising Cain because what is more devilish than inflicting trauma on your own kid that is true. just to look and quantify the results of how he is dealing with said trauma? That is fucked up. It's horrible and awful. And Well, in fairness, though, at Dr. Giggles, he sewed his, his kid into his dead wife. I mean, that's pretty fucking traumatic, too. You could write a dissertation on that one, my friend. Absolutely. Well, that's the beauty of being devilish in doctors. Right. But, well, here we go. And we've got two votes for Dr. Giggles and two votes for Raising Cain. Uh -oh. Well. In the matter of a, a tie here, we're going to go to the cover of an old faithful magazine, Genius Break It Out. On the cover of the old fango, gonna buy one copy for my mother. Gonna watch some movies on Shutter. Gonna see my gruesome face on the cover of the old fango. Going to the cover of Fangoria magazine, and back in 1992, this was still the heyday of Fangoria. Mm-hmm. And in this case, only one of the films did appear on the cover of Fangoria. And it was actually not necessarily in the center of the cover, but it did share not only the title of the film, but a shot of one doctor. And that doctor is Dr. Giggles. Yes! Making it into the round of the Scream 16, yes! Dr. Giggles. <laughs> hey, watch. You, you, people are going to think you're biased on that one, my friend. No, I'm not biased on that one. That was a good fight. I mean, it's always cool when it comes down to a tie. When it comes down to a tie, honestly, I'm like, okay, which one do I kind of want to see win? You know? And it's totally fair. It's totally fair. Now, our next bracket topic is one that we've approached several times in the many years of Into the Mouth of March Madness, because let's face it, from the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000, 2010s, there is one thing that will always sell and one thing that will always make a filmmaker come out of the grave, and that are zombie films. So our bracket topic is from the grave, and we are looking at both Army of Darkness and Dead Alive, a.k.a. Brain dead, depending on where you're from. Mm -hmm. Which of these two films shall we dig up first, genius? Hail to the king, baby. <laughs> well, then. Saw this one in the theater. Me too. I skipped school to go see this in the theater. Nice. I don't know if that's necessarily nice, because I was a sophomore at the time, and <laughs> I was utilizing my mother's red tempo and was the only one in... It would have probably been, it was a matinee screening. It would have been the, whatever the theater was at the time, off of 119th and Metcalf. I think it was maybe a Cinemark of some sort. 119th and Metcalf? Yeah, 119th and Metcalf on the, uh, it would be at the Metro south, North? southeast side. Oh, AMC. AMC there. There you go. But it was glorious. It was wonderful. I had only really recently discovered the Evil Dead universe in Sam Raimi, and it was everything I wanted at the time. It just, it hit, you talk about how, uh, you know, Dracula's crossing off a number of, you know, things for mm -hmm. you. In 1992, you couldn't have given me a better movie 
than Army of Darkness. Oh, I got to agree with that one. Seeing well, one, seeing in the theater, and then two, everything you could want. I mean, I want to see some dead-eyed action. I got it. I want to see Ash being a badass. Got it. I didn't know that I wanted to see an actual army of fucking undead monsters. I thought that was rad as shit. I wanted to see, like... Three Stooges-esque shenanigans, got that. I wanted to see Ash get beat the fuck up, got that. I wanted to see him quit. I wanted to see gallons and oceans of blood. I got it. I got that whole medieval sword and sorcery meets Sam Raimi meets Deadites that I was promised. You know what I got? Mountain, Mountain Dew. Dew. Yeah. I'm going to do the do. Extreme! It was everything I would have drawn on my Trapper Keeper mm-hmm. at the time. Everything the poster promised. And Sally Four. Plus the uh, the um, Danny Elfman score was rad. The March of the Dead. It's really good. The comedy works. The I mean, till this day, it's still pretty funny as shit. It, well, and this is where you have to realize kind of the progression of the Evil Dead films and the aesthetic approach as they definitely diluted in the horror Mm-hmm. the further they went along to the point where this one was more seeped in comedy as you mentioned with action the three adventure stu- comedy yeah more family friendly fare mm-hmm. could you call this a gateway horror oh, film absolutely absolutely because the violence is over the top but it's not subtle but it's not mean-spirited violence mm-hmm. you know i mean the only people who get killed by the hero are the bad guys so and this is like bruce campbell at his apex just and the Bruce Campbelliest. Oh my goodness! And the charisma, the physicality. Like revisiting it, and this is kind of when I was saying at the time, we have hosted many years at this point. Hopefully, we're not being wore, you know wearing old in the tooth here. But you know, we always host movies that we love, movies that we want to hype up, movies that we want people to see in the theater. And when it comes to the Evil Dead franchise, I can't tell you. How many times I've hosted Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness. Yeah. And I don't know if it's through multiple times seeing it originally in the theater, to VHS, to DVD, to Blu-ray, to repertory screenings, but I'm, I'm, I'm kind of getting some diminishing returns with Army of Darkness. <sighs> Me too. Are, are we getting old? No, I don't think we're getting old. I just think like no matter what... If you've watched it so many times, even if it's your favorite movie, it's going to lose some of its luster. Now, that being said, it's still an amazing movie. I mean, it's still one of the greats. I mean, like, it's a lot of people's favorite fucking movie of all time. And properly so. I mean, it's probably one of the best horror comedies. It's definitely one of the best uh, fantasy horror comedy hybrids out there. But is do I find as much stuff funny as I did back when I first saw it? No. But, of course, that goes with time yeah. you know but yeah i think there's not diminishing returns is the bad term for it because i mean it's not like it's that our next it's, topic it's still beloved but, and i still love it right it's just lost a little of its luster yeah and if it's if it's being offered as a movie i'm gonna see if someone else will host it you know what i'm saying spread the love let someone i'll host it <laughs> i'll host it well uh, from Army of Darkness and Sam Raimi to a movie that some people will argue is nothing but a ripoff of one Sam Raimi. Uh, we go to Peter Jackson's Dead Alive, a.k.a. Brain Dead. Oh, I kick ass for the Lord. 
Oh, good course, Dad. Just like Mom used to make. There are not too many films, Genius McGee, that can make me gag. That can make me do a D from It's Always Sunny and just... Dead Alive is one of those movies. Oh my! Peter Jackson. People don't. He's Mr. Middle Earth, Mr. Um, Lord of the Rings. You know, like oh well, the Frighteners must be his first foray and is scary. No, no, Mr. Family Friendly. He's over there making movies about aliens yakking up shit and everybody's drinking it. That made me gag. He's talking about like people like dropping their ears into custard, like mowing people down with a uh, the uh, lawnmower. Now you know. Meet the feebles. How many people backward engineered from Lord of the Rings, and they probably looked at like the covers. Oh, he made the Mister Lord of the Rings made a puppet movie. Woo! Let's get Grandma and the kids. Meet the feebles. The fuck. Yes. I have never yes. needed a shower yes. more. Yes, I would love to see the reaction of after that stumble upon. <laughs> well, that's why I think so many of us that knew his work were excited. At that prospect, but also like they gave that guy the Lord of the Rings franchise. Right, right. Cool. They gave Sam Raimi <laughs> Spider Man. Yeah, well, we'll get into that, but I was lucky enough to also see this one in the theater, but I happened to see it at the Tivoli. See, that's classy. Well, that's 42nd Street and it's classy. It can be both. It can veer between A24 and A42nd Street, mm-hmm. absolutely. And if you, for those of you that don't know, the Tivoli was and still is over at the Nelson. It was the Art House Theater. But that's also the theater that I saw uh, the Blair Witch Project. Uh, I, I've, I've, we hosted A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2 with Mark Patton. Mm-hmm. It's, a grand, it's a fantastic theater. But in the early 90s, man, I mean, it was like your gateway into all these things. And to see it up on the big screen was memorable. And then it found its audience via VHS, and especially that VHS cover. Oh, with the skull in the mouth? Yes. Yeah, that's iconic. Yes. That's how I saw it. You know, it was VHS. And I don't think we're going to anytime soon going to see a screening of it. You know what I'm saying? Well, I know that there are... His back catalog is in the work of getting some like 4K restorations and some Blu-ray releases. So fingers crossed we eventually get a non-bootleg release of the film because it's hard to find. Oh, that would be awesome. To yeah. see the Sumerian rat monkey go to town. Oh, and looking back that at the- That made me sad, though, because I was like, man, that monkey, that poor monkey. He, Peter Jackson better not be pulling a, um, Carlos Rambaldi over here. Well, I love that both of the films employ stop motion. Mm-hmm. With their films, because Peter Jackson and Sam Raimi, they're both fanboys. Yeah, they're old school fanboys. Yeah, oh, very old school fanboys, to the point where you do get shenanigans in Army of Darkness that are more family friendly versus adult Freudian gore, shenanigans. Gore and, shenanigans and, and, and like babies, puppets. That freaks me out. Zombie sex. A lot of gooey slime the 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 of the eating of custard with the zombies there's there's a lot it's a gross gross movie it really is a gross movie um, but god bless it i kick ass for the lord that was the moment from the first time to this time that still this is why peter jackson rules you will get a kung fu kick-ass priest in your zombie film 
And he will kick ass. Yeah, he will. And even as a zombie, he's actually pretty kick ass. He's the one that's diddling people. He's oh. the, the sex sex zombie. Uh, the uncle, of course, just being sleazy. Paquita. Uh, Rita. <laughs> Paquita being amazing. Pushy. She's kind of pushy. Assertive. Yeah. She knows what she wants. I I, I come, I think bring groceries, yes? Okay, Paquita. And sentient guts that are like, please don't hurt me, sir. A little bit. Uh, and the, But then the whole giant mom puppet. Oh, Lord. There's a lot going on in this movie. There's a lot to shit And it was really on. nice to revisit it because of what is going on with it. And again, because of where he went Mm -hmm. with this film so obviously a lot of love with both of them but only one can advance to the next round so genius mcgee between army of darkness and dead alive which of the two is closer to your heart golly (laughs) well i've been dreading this one the whole time you know because this one's a rough one so so i think i'm gonna go Army of Darkness. I remember seeing it in the theater. I still to this day really enjoy it. And yeah, I don't. It has a lot, a little bit has lost its luster. But every now and then, something will remind me of it, or some. It's it's almost a part of me. Look, we were talking about um, last matinee, right? Comes I mean, from Army of Darkness. Exactly. The whole like the deadites, the everything. It's just those the soundtrack. I'm gonna have to go Army of Darkness on this one. Nope, that's totally fair. That's why, and this is a tough one for me because again, I saw both of them in the theater, but the only reason I saw Dead Alive in the theater is because of my friend Brian. Um, my friend Brian, who sadly passed away a few years ago, uh, was my gateway into so many things that were cool. Uh, he was the reason I even knew who Quentin Tarantino was back in 1992. Brian saw Reservoir Dogs in the theater at the Tivoli. Nice. He was the one that introduced me to music that people five years down the line would like discover. I mean, he was just that kind of guy. And, you know, if it wasn't for him, my life would be different. I would probably not be the fanboy I am, the person that loves physical media. Brian was the vinyl junkie long before people were doing I mean, he was from the get-go. And, man, his energy is missed. Like, he was just a good guy. And it was really kind of crazy. I watched um, The Big Chill for the first time last year. Mm-hmm. And based on my kind of experience losing a friend like that, man, it, it resonated with me differently. So I've got to go with Dead Alive just based on the nostalgia you yeah. know, alone. So that being said, from the heart to the head, the bracket topic is from the grave. Rise from the grave, be it Altered Beast, <laughs> be it this topic, a number of ways to interpret it. So Genius McGee, how are you interpreting it? So, while there's a lot of kick-ass scenes set in graveyards and about zombies and dead alive, it's not every day we get to see a whole bunch of reanimated skeletons, corpses, and not just zombies, just all different uh, death, deadites, everything. Dig up other zombies and other skeletons to form an army. And I think that's just pretty fucking neat. And so from the grave, the fact that everything that they had was death related, like between like when they had the um, 
Song of the Dead, the the, the marching, mm-hmm. and he was playing with the skulls and playing the bone flute, and all yeah, that. bone flute, yeah. All that was cool from the grave. They're digging up comrades from the grave for more of a bigger army and an actual proper sword and sorcery army. So I'm gonna go for the grave. I'm gonna go Army of Darkness. That's right. and of all the, the of the people they dug up, Bill Mosley in the background. Oh, of course, and of course Ted Raimi. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So I actually interpreted this one a different way, and I kind of looked at the actual trajectory of the filmmakers because it can be argued that, like we said, from genre films, zombie genre films, both of these filmmakers have gone into wildly successful mainstream careers. Mm -hmm. And it's tough. And I love both of them. And with Peter Jackson, obviously, you have Lord of the Rings. But then if you look at some of his other films, The Frighteners, as you mentioned, which is definitely an all-timer, Bad Taste, (laughs) Meet the Feebles, Um, Heavenly Creatures, very underrated. But then I look at Raimi's work, and obviously you have the Evil Dead franchise. Darkman is an all-timer. Darkman is slick. You know what Peter Jackson doesn't have? He doesn't have a baseball movie. You know what Sam Raimi has? A baseball movie. He's got For the Love of the Game, okay? Uh, He's got one of my favorite Bill Paxton performances in A Simple Plan. He has, I think, a little bit more of a complex and varied and diverse filmography. Quick and the Dead is slick. Oh! Quick and the Dead is fucking rad. I watched that for the first time last year. My great, isn't it? It's on Sven-Ole Thorsen gets shot down at the beginning. (laughs) Yes, I was thinking of you particularly. That one is a joy to behold. And that's the reaction I get. And also, Sam Raimi is helming the upcoming Doctor Strange film. So from the grave, from a zombie film, from their career... My vote is going to go with Sam Raimi and Army of Darkness. So by a vote of three to one, uh, <laughs> crawling their way into the round of the Scream 16 is Army of Darkness. All right. Now, our final matchup in the year of 1992 finds us Army of Darkness, definitely a sequel. But let's be fair, the 1980s, the 1990s, we still have a number of other franchises churning out sequels so our bracket topic is franchise freshener and we're going to look at two films from some film franchises uh pet cemetery 2 and hellraiser 3 hell on earth don't forget Uh, that subtitle you cannot forget the subtitle with hellraiser it's all the subtitles yes it is yes it is so which of the two franchise films shall we delve into first here genius let's do pet cemetery 2 let's see clancy brown talk with his mouth open while eating Okay, so this one, I the journey this film took for me was actually a lot of fun because it did start over on Patreon as part of the I've Seen That Challenge mm-hmm. where it's I try to see at least three new films a week and for some reason or another, I haven't seen it. Just one of those that never got to, Yeah, which I know you're kind of in the same, same. boat. Mm-hmm. Watched it the first time. Because I heard bad things too. I had heard mixed things, which... Because I think it wasn't all 100% positive. Right. Probably kept me away from it. Right. And we both loved the first one, and you had a hell of an hell experience. Hell of a time with the first one. Theatrically. Right. But after I saw it the first time, I immediately fell in love with it, and I was like, genius, we need to do this as an episode on the main feed, which we did. Mm-hmm. And now it's found its way here into the mouth of March Madness. So I love the journey that it's taken, and especially for me, because it's still new to me yeah even though it's been 30 years 
And because it was new to you within the last year, it begs the question, why are so many of us still discovering this one? I think it's because of what we said. Because of the mixed reviews back in the day, because, you know, uh, not a lot of, and it's still going on, nothing is going to uh, ever touch the, the OG. You know, no sequel can be as good, especially if you're going in the same trajectory as the first, which this one de- doesn't at all Mm -hmm. this one is significantly more mirthful significantly (laughs) it's not as mean and then it's definitely not as fucking sad if i saw this in the theater i wouldn't have to leave the theater to stop from crying so like (laughs) i don't know why people are just noticing this movie now but i'm glad they are and you know what i'm gonna say this i'm not even the biggest edward furlong fan sometimes i think he's wooden you know, and I think in this one, and he was kind of wooden, but I think it's he did a good job. In, and I should say not, not this one, another one. He did a good job in this movie and he did a great job against Clancy Brown. And whenever you can have Clancy Brown as your main undead villain. Yes, the, he's your secret weapon. And this is why Bully I'm also. Comeuppance. Oh, and such a great and a great use of a motorcycle in lieu of <laughs> like since. Car. Yeah, since like happy birthday to me. Um, no, Clancy Brown for many years at this point has been kind of like a Bill Paxton where he can kind of be the main thrust of your thing and it's perfect or he can just be a side character and he's the most memorable thing from that. This is totally different from the original. Absolutely. We actually kind of have fun with this one mm-hmm. versus how somber and serious this is. And again, maybe that's why people don't like it because they're expecting the somber and serious. And tone. you don't get that with this right. one. There's at no all. dead as better. You no, know? None at all. In fact, well, that is kind of more fun. It is better. Horror movie element in terms of his mother being a genre actor. It's very cool. The fact that it comes into play in a significant way. Very much so, mm-hmm. actually. The, the dress and everything involved with the dress. I. Have fun with this one. There's a reason why Scream Factory put a Blu-ray out. I think that's why people are discovering it again. And there's no Zelda. I think between Zelda yeah. and Gage, I think a lot of people, I think you included, have to be ready for Pet Cemetery. You're walking on glass, you know, looking for that moment when the Zelda moment happens. But see, there's nothing like that. No. It's just more fun and more kills. It's, it's more th- It's more 80s. That's for a film in the 90s, it does feel more like a film from the 80s. It very much feels like a sequel, mm-hmm. but in a direction you wouldn't think they'd the be the original to... one, yeah. right? If all, yeah, if, if we t- you're gonna have Clancy Brown, it's gonna be fun kills, uh, Stephen King approved across the board. Oh, yeah, across oh, the yeah. board. Oh, yeah, you know, it's it may not necessarily be pet set. Well, no, because technically coming from Stephen King material, mm-hmm. but not and also. Mary Lambert coming back. And to to help pen the script and direct. It shows you just how diverse she could be. Mm -hmm. Give her more roles, ladies and gentlemen. Absolutely. Or, you know, things. Yeah, no, I, this was a nice revisit and one that I will continue to revisit based on, number one, the Blu-ray. Thank you, Scream Factory. Uh, But again, because it's fun. I have to be ready for the original Pet Cemetery. This one. Let's throw it on. Right now. Let's I wanna, do it. You want to watch something with Clancy Brown? Sure. <laughs> He's so good in a dinner scene. Like, is does he need to be like the next um, family member in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre? No, he needs a, no, he needs another movie, My Dinner with Clancy. <laughs> I'd probably see that the Tivoli. Right. <laughs> that works. That works. So from Pet Cemetery 2, from a second film to into a, a franchise. Third. To a third. And the third usually says at least the second one did decent enough that you can kind of explore. And if we 
look at we've already experienced we've got one from 1982 mm-hmm. Halloween 3 Divisive Friday the 13th Part 3 yeah. I, I would have spent an F Shelley out of that one just I'm Pavlovian trying to, I'm trying to be good restrain yourself but he gets the mask so fairly important right uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3 uh-huh. uh, won the first one year of, the of Into yeah. the Mouth of March Madness amazing amazing Hellraiser 3 definitely divisive mm-hmm. And I know, so I know a lot of people love, oh. love, love this movie. This is their favorite Hellraiser. By any chance, uh, what was your what was your initial re- interaction with this uh, one? VHS. Okay, but like the day it came out, you Certainly. know, like it's Hellraiser three, Hellraiser two. I think is one of those movies that might be as good or better than the original. I think Hellraiser two has a lot more to offer and a lot of different things, mm-hmm. but it's just if not, it's just as good as one. This one I remember saying, you know what, it was all right. I mean, even back in the day, I was like, it was all right. I mean, it's a Hellraiser movie. I thought, that, looking, I thought like the CD guy was kill, was cool. You know, the DJ is like, I also got some of the kills are neat. <laughs> but I remember like, ah, it wasn't as good as part two. A little disappointed. Looking back at this movie now, I wanted to like it so much more than I did. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm like, I remember, I'm like, okay, I remember the CD guy and the the camera guy being cool. Mm-hmm. But then I was like, no one that cool. You know what I'm saying? And then I was like, okay, um, I remember Pinhead being like really like quippy and wisecracky, and I'm like, well, he wasn't that quippy and wisecracky. And I remember the kills being really inventive and neat, and I'm like, yeah, the killer. And here's the thing. When I saw who directed it, Anthony Wilcox, I love Anthony Wilcox. I love Anthony Wilcox. You will I mean, find, in one of his movies. No, you will, <laughs> you will find no bigger fan of Waxwork than one genius movie. Absolutely. So, yes, you're already, your interest is right. peaked. You're in. That's, and maybe that added more to the disappointment. Sure. Maybe it was my own hype of like, yeah, okay, cool. I forgot Anthony Wilcox directed this movie. Awesome. I know I'm going to be in for something cool. It was all right. It was all right, but I think this, and I've seen a lot of the other sequels. I think this is the best out of all the other sequels I've seen. Well, you know how you talked about how with Pet Cemetery they kind of made it more 80s and 90s in a sequel? I think they did the same thing with Pinhead because how he was kind of still on the periphery of the first two and you still had human villains for the most part, mm-hmm. uh, Julia being kind of the centerpiece of it. At this point, they want he's him the to main be guy. the Freddy Cougar. Right. They want him to quip. And see, he's... He just wants to kill people. He was never about killing everybody yeah, wantingly. Just, he who, was just, who summoned me? Yes. What do you want? All right, I'm going to give it to you. You asked for this. Business was, as usual. Right. It Never was, personal. Exactly. It wasn't like, I'm going to kill a whole nightclub. You know? He was the Nino Brown of Cenobites at the time. Like, he was on the straight and narrow. Right. <laughs> Nothing. Ah, that's horrible. <laughs> All right. So, but, so that's why I was like, ah... It just felt a little. He's now no longer the priest of the gash. Well, he's he goes more. Yeah, I don't even want. It, it, he's more populist in this case. Like you said, he reaches a larger audience. We get mass slaughter with I our cinnabites. I mean, the club, the club kill, the club scene was dope. It's I not mean, bad. It's not bad. It's inventive. And let's face it, third film in into a film into two films that have been largely adult oriented. If you, if anytime we talk the first two Hellraiser films. We'll talk about they're very adultish. Mm-hmm. This one doesn't feel that way. This one feels a little bit more watered down. This one feels like it is to be more 
to to hit a larger audience. Right. Let's get more bombastic with it. It almost got Golden and Globus. Uh, and it, that's not nothing a bad wrong. Thing. Yeah, nothing not a bad wrong. thing at all. Like I said, this might be somebody's favorite Hellraiser. I mean, and it is on our bracket for a reason. Well, you know what? It's metal is all get out. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is, and it's and it's it's not as horny as Dracula, but, but it's there's pretty that's horny. pretty horny. It's <laughs> not as horny as part one or two. No, but it's pretty horny. Horny in a different way. Mm-hmm. Horny in a canon way. Right. Basically, again, where it's more romantic and adult here, it's just more gratuitous. Yeah. and sweaty. And, well, actually, some of the people showing up in here were kind of nice surprises because the main girl, the smoker girl, she was the sophomore in PCU, the one always uh, looking for the frosh. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and that's, again, where the connection is made. You're like, oh, yeah. Um, Pinhead as the centerpiece of an art piece, again, wouldn't mind having that in the house, but he's he's kind of creeper. He is. I, w- I would definitely wouldn't have him looking at my bed. No, I'd turn it away. Exactly. Exactly. And I would definitely make sure that I don't like accidentally cut myself or where blood no. can go anywhere. Yeah. You no, know? blood will not be flowing Mm-mm. anywhere near Mm-mm. there. Um, I don't know. This one actually revisiting it, it, its tongue is firmly planted in the cheek for the most part to the point where they it's call themselves. Well, they call themselves out even on their kind of subpar Cenobites. Where he's kind of like, yeah, this isn't my normal crew, but... But it's the yeah. best of what I can do with what I got, so... <laughs> DIY with Pinhead. <laughs> we have... <laughs> Check out my website. It has such other sites to show you. And again, it's kind of winking in on itself. It's knowing that, yes, we're going to go a little bit more bombastic. Now we are going to have a larger kill. It's It's went from like an intimate series to something that just feels more mainstream big budget and i think it does lose some of that intimacy mm-hmm. when you do that so yeah again i liked this one and it was a worthy rewatch it's almost like we were talking about how dracula was too horny this one was almost not horny enough <laughs> words words that only come out of here in nightmare junket <laughs> and into the mouth of march madness <laughs> now only one of these films can make it into the round of the scream 16 to battle army of darkness so genius mcgee which of the two films, Pet Cemetery 2 or Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth, is closer to your heart? I remember Hellraiser 3 being a little bit of a disappointment when I first saw it. But now that I knew that it was Anthony Wilcox, it kind of broke my heart a little bit. <laughs> so for closer to the heart, I got to go Pet Cemetery 2. It's not so much that you're angry. I'm disappointed. <laughs> Now, for me, this is tough. Again, I was a latecomer to Pet Cemetery 2. Hellraiser 3, I also saw it by VHS. And I'm actually going to go kind of with my heartstrings more to the franchise itself, at least up to that point. And I have to be in a mood to watch Pet Cemetery. I kind of have to be in a mood to watch Hellraiser. But you know what? I'm going to say based on my mood of the franchise, I'm going to go ahead and just say I'm a little bit closer to the heart with the Hellraiser franchise. It's my inner genius McGee coming out. I'm not going to be it. Uh, now, <laughs> from the heart to the head, our bracket topic is franchise freshener mm-hmm. can be uh, interpreted in multiple ways. Genius. Where's your vote going? I think this is the start of diminishing returns for Hellraiser 3. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So for that re- for one reason, I'm going to go for Pet Cemetery too. But the main reason is ain't nothing a better way to freshen up something than to get some of the, 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 the sad and sour off of something. And God damn it, if they didn't take something that's sad, dour, uh, contemplative, and turn it into something 
mirthful and mm-hmm. and and mean and funny and like fun. So for franchise freshener, even though that's about the last of the franchise we got yeah. until the, the remake, remake, yeah, it sure as hell went in a different right way and freshened things up a bit. Well, and and both of them definitely veer from what came before. Mm-hmm. And with Pet Cemetery Two, you only have one film to veer away from. Hellraiser Three, you've got two to veer away from. But quite honestly, I don't think more veered away from the other and kept it fresh than Pet Cemetery Two. And maybe it's just the freshness of one Clancy Brown. Had he shown up in Hellraiser Three, had Clancy Brown been one of the other Cenobites, holy shit. Had been been a Kurgan bite, what have you. <laughs> He's over there undead eating mashed potatoes. Oh, we got such snacks to show you. But as his voice, Clancy Brown would the be boys. a great pinhead. Yeah, he would. Yeah, he yeah, would. Yeah, he would. Clancy Brown would be a great anything. anything. Yeah. It's Clancy Brown. It's Clancy Brown. And by a score of three to one, making it into the round of the Scream 16 is Pet Cemetery 2, which means our official matchups in... The round of the Scream 16, we have Candyman going up against Dr. Giggles and Army of Darkness going up against Pet Cemetery 2. Now, we do have all of our guests lined up. We haven't recorded yet, so I don't want to say who it is officially, but let's just say here in the next, uh, on Friday, our first guests have been on Nightmare Junkhead before, but it'll be their first trip into the mouth of March Madness. So until that time, this is Greg D. I'm Genius McGee. And we'll see you in your dreams. Mm-hmm.